Hello, my name is Greg Lewis. Welcome to the Young in Cotisol podcast, where we are teachers helping teachers. Am I going to go back to South Africa or am I going into a completely different direction? Do, 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 do. This month, we try to illustrate how a career in teaching English impacts both teachers and learners for a lifetime. In this series called Now and Then, we talk with some of the amazing people who came to Korea, stayed a while, left their mark, and have now moved on to new adventures. We start with a three-part interview with the fountain of youth that is Leonie Overbeek. Originally from South Africa, Leonie started her career in the hard sciences, staying for 30 years before turning to her love for her second language, English, which brought her to Korea for 12 years. Leonie has retired now, if you want to call it that, and lives on a small holding in the village of Zecino Oreshe, Bulgaria, where she divides her time between her PhD work in environmental philosophy, starting a creative new bee business, and collecting the grapes from her vines and squishing them into bottles. Okay, so my guest today is the, it seems to me, ever-smiling Leonie Overbeek. Uh, <laughs> welcome to the show, Leonie. Thank you very much. And, um, of course, there's a reason for the smile. Um, I am very much someone who... Uh, believes that, uh, you know, not just that a smile is a frown turned upside down, mm -hmm. um, but because at one stage in my life, I worked with a person who had escaped Hungary from under the communist oppression, uh, Kalman Richter. And Kalman was one of the most positive and upbeat and amazing people I have ever worked with. Uh, together, he and I did some research into uh, the qualities of mineral powders and how they flow and pack. This was way back when I was doing the hard sciences. In South Africa, right? In South Africa, yeah. And, uh, I mean, he lost virtually all of his family during that escape. Mm. Um, uh, actually, one of the stories he told was um, having to drag the body of his father through the, the barbed wire uh, because his mother said, we have to bury him somewhere. We have to bury him somewhere. We cannot leave him there. So, I mean, if ever there was a man entitled, I think, to mm -hmm. walk around, you know, grumpy and miserable and life is terrible and so on, it would be this man. And at that time, I was going through quite a bit of problems in my life. And one day he said to me, Leonie, all of us are given our face for a reason. I said to him, oh, really? Why? And he said, like water, we become what we pour ourselves into. 
And if you pour yourself into a face that is miserable, you will be miserable forever. But if you pour yourself into a face that smiles, you will be a happy person. And I said, but what if I don't feel like smiling? <laughs> and he said, that's the reason for the face. The face will be able to smile even if you don't feel like smiling. Wow. You just have to activate the muscles. And I thought about it and I thought, oh my word. Yes. So from then on, that's basically what I started putting into practice. And so I owe my face at this time to the amazing Kalman Richter. Wow. When you learn a lesson, you really learn a lesson. <laughs> <laughs> I try. I really try. <laughs> Wow, because that was a long time ago, right? It that was I was nineteen at the age uh, that I first met him, and we stopped working together when I was twenty-two. So those three years were for me very formative years, not just in this lesson, but also he was someone who, as we were talking and working together and so on, taught me a lot about research, about uh, critical thinking, about um, diligence, about uh, work ethic. Uh, I owe him a lot. I really owe him a lot. Was he, was he a work colleague? Like, did you work at, the, I don't know, the same Okay, uh, so basically, uh, let's let's quickly backtrack to there. Um, okay. At the age of 16, my father got an opportunity to uh, go to Australia, to Adelaide, and work there for a year at a place called Amdel. And he was working at that time in South Africa at a place called the National Institute for Metallurgy. And there was an exchange program. So a guy from Amdel came and worked at Mintec or NIM, as it was called at that time, for a year. And we went and lived in Australia. And that put a big spoke in the wheels of my education because the South African education authorities said there is no way that we can allow her to do the um, first of the two final years of high school, which in South Africa was called Standard 9 at that time, there because we don't know what the quality of their education is like. I mean, this was Australia, Australia. But they didn't trust, you know, mm -hmm. the <laughs> quality of education. And so my dad said, okay, well, then give her her school leavers certificate, which is definitely not university entrance level. And during the year that I was in Australia, I sat with uh, correspondence courses for doing what was called the matric, which is the final year, and of course, university entrance um, exams, etc. 
Right. And uh, you can imagine this was back in the early 70s. Um, no internet connections, no nothing like this. Uh, the most you ever had was perhaps a landline connection. So this was truly correspondence in that the material arrived in big bags of brown envelopes. And half of the material that I was going to write exams on never, in fact, reached me. Um, and at the end of that year of studying, I went to Canberra in the, in Australia to the South African embassy. And I actually sat the matric exam. I passed five of the six subjects I was doing, but I only got, um, a 56% for the maths, which uh-huh. was one of the subjects that half of the material never reached me. So at least of what I did study, I aced it all. <laughs> there were many questions that they asked that I went, I haven't seen this. So, mm-hmm. so coming back to South Africa, I now had a semi-completed matric university exemption kind of thing. And my dad suggested that I actually start working with him at the National Institute of Metallurgy as sort of an apprentice in their program for letting people work and then do university studies kind of thing. Right. And so for a year I was working and in the evenings attending math classes. And at the end of that year, passed my math and therefore had the university uh, entrance. And for the next three years, I worked like this. For six months of the year, I would be at the National Institute of Metallurgy in the lab, working with Kalman and doing research, washing, da And for the other six months of the year, I would be in an extremely intensive course doing chemistry and thermodynamics and physics and, you know, all the things needed for a B degree in analytical chemistry. And once I then got that degree, I continued to work at the National Institute for Metallurgy. And in fact, I worked there for about 15 years, eventually ending up as a project leader and senior researcher. Having in the meantime, at night classes, done an honors degree in chemical engineering. (laughs) So is Uh, this something that you had thought you would be interested in when you were 16? Or you just kind of falling into this all the way. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, yes, I I was interested in science and sciences and especially the science that my dad was involved in uh, because there were many times that my mom would want time to herself and my dad would take me with him to the lab and sit me down with a 
microscope and put some interesting slides under the microscope and that would keep me quiet. And uh, I remember for my uh, eighth birthday, I actually asked for a junior chemist's set, sure. you know, where you had all those chemistry <laughs> yeah, experiments yeah, yeah. that you could do and things <laughs> like that. Uh, so yes, I was always interested in that, but I was also because my uncle, my, my dad's brother, was into music and was in a band and he was an artist, very gifted artist. Um, and he was one of those musicians that could just pick up any instrument and listen to somebody singing or playing a melody and pick it up. You know, he was an extremely talented man and he would always encourage me to sing. He called me his little Julie Andrews. Oh, nice. <laughs> and uh, so I was at the age of 16, torn between these two worlds, the world of science and the world of arts and letters and music and things That's like that. That's a tough one. Yeah. 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 And uh, how it actually then came about that, um, you know, having returned from Australia and now what are the options? Um, my uncle actually said, hey, we've got an opening for a female vocalist. Why don't you come and sing with our band? Oh, I spoke to my parents and, and said, hey, I'm really interested in this. This is this is wonderful. This is fascinating. And my dad said, over my dead body. <laughs> <laughs> and that's when the the opening at NIM materialized. I, I'm still not sure which strings he pulled to get that going. I but, imagine it was pretty frantic. He was <laughs> trying to save his daughter. Yeah. <laughs> from from the horrible world of drugs, sex, and rock yes. and roll. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Uh, not that he succeeded, <laughs> but uh, completely, because even while working in science, I loved being on stage. And wherever I went, I would look for the local amateur dramatic society and join them and be up on stage or behind the scenes or stuff like that. It doesn't fit <laughs> the, 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 uh, the standard uh, uh, image that one would have from you know, watching movies, yeah. I suppose. You're supposed to be a geek, you know, and geeks don't, <laughs> don't mix with the, the hip crowd. <laughs> Well, actually, interesting story, that got me the position as laboratory manager for Whedon's Minerals. The um, music did? The music and arts and stuff did, together how, with how the did science. That happen? Because here's, here's the thing, we were working on a project where they were going to install uh, some fairly new equipment at a mine and they wanted us as a research facility to check would these things actually be good. And I was the project leader assigned to that. And halfway through the project, the guy from this commercial laboratory uh, said to me, listen, are you interested in changing jobs? And I said, well, what do you mean? 
He said, we're looking for a laboratory manager and you would be perfect for it. And we could offer you twice the salary you're getting here. Because at that time, this research organization was government sponsored and the Mm -hmm. government never pays very well, you know. (laughs) And at that time, I had just had a rather messy divorce and I was a single mom with two kids. So money was a consideration. And Mm -hmm. um, I said, sure, I'll be interested. I'm interested. He said, well, part of it is going to be that you will have to undergo what is called a psychometric test to see how well you're going to fit with us. Um, So I had to go and spend a whole day at the offices of this particular company that specialized in doing these tests, doing 3D puzzles, having interviews with the psychiatrists, doing memory tests, doing aptitude tests, you know, so whole barrage of tests. And at the end of the day, as part of the way they work, is that they actually report your results to you as well as to the company that has commissioned this test. And I remember I was sitting down in in this guy's office, um, the CEO of the company, and he said to me, you know, we we very rarely see people like you. I said, what do you mean? (laughs) You know, immediately the sort of, ah! (laughs) (laughs) Kicks in. And he said, You are one of the few people in the world, we reckon there's only about 1% of them in the world, that is completely balanced in both sides, the sciences and the arts. You are completely balanced. And I said, oh, what does that mean? He says, I'll tell you what it means. You're a genius. (laughs) Wow. Now, I've, I've never let that get, go to my head. I really don't consider myself a, a genius, but it was very nice to hear. Absolutely. And, of course, when they got the uh, results, they were on the phone and they said, we want you now, now, please come, please come. I said, Well, that's got to feel good. Yeah. Oh, it felt wonderful. It <laughs> felt really, really wonderful. <laughs> And, um, yeah, I was lab manager for them for four years before, due to a lot of labor difficulties and so on that were emerging at that time in South Africa, they decided to close down the local branch. They were an international company. Hmm. And they actually said to me, would you come with us? But at that time, I had remarried. And hubby's job was in South Africa. And I said, regretfully, I have to say no, I, I won't be able to do that. Yeah, uh, not sure where I would be today if I yeah, had said yeah. yes. Yeah. But having yeah. said no, at that point, I can see the path that brought me to Korea and eventually here to Bulgaria. So so did language sort of come in later on then, like learning English? 
well, this this was the thing. So obviously, having now said goodbye to to that job, I now had to find another job. And right. at that moment, the University of Stellenbosch, uh, which is one of the really big universities in South Africa, were advertising for a contract position for people who had a background in mineral processing and chemical engineering. And so I got hold of them. I, at that time, we were living in Johannesburg and was flown down to Cape Town and then into Stellenbosch and had an interview with them. And pretty much the same sort of result. Oh, we want you now. We want you now. We can't believe we're <laughs> lucky pattern. enough to get someone like this, you know. Yeah. And the contract was basically to develop together with the Chamber of Mines, which was the official government body that regulated all mining activities uh, in South Africa. And then the universities of Stellenbosch, UCT, the Technicon of Cape Town and Rhodes University. A practical course that would be part of the degree uh, BSc in mining engineering. Uh -huh. And South Africa having mining as one of its main, main things that it does, uh, you know, this was important. And again, it was one of those situations where the Chamber of Mines would sponsor certain students to now be doing this degree. And then they would be assigned to a specific mine. And they found that many of the people that would then go and uh, work at these mines had a lot of theoretical knowledge, but hadn't ever put hand to switch in terms of running a flotation bank or uh, balancing a jig or uh, getting a spiral to operate correctly and, and things like that. So I was the person appointed at Stellenbosch University because I was bilingual and Stellenbosch is an Afrikaans university mm -hmm. and I, Afrikaans is my mother tongue. English right. is my second language. So at the end of four years at Stellenbosch University, uh, my daughter had started studying there as well in the philosophy department. Uh, my son was doing well at school. And I basically wanted to settle down there. And um, the contract was now ended. And the Department of uh, Mining and Engineering didn't have openings, but the Department of physics did. And so I got a permanent post in the Department of Physics as their resident administrator and tech support person. I see. And at that time, I was sort of looking around for something to occupy my time because you can imagine it had been very intensive. And uh, I saw that one of the departments offered uh, free gratis and for nothing that people mm. who worked. Okay, that, that's an Afrikaans expression. That's a I very expect. South African expression. It means you don't have to pay. 
Oh, lovely. Uh, <laughs> and um, I could do any master's degree I wanted. Oh, my. And I thought, okay, up to now, I've always focused on the hard sciences. Leone was about to take advantage of some free master's level study at Stellenbosch University in South Africa and step out of her comfort zone. But I use the term comfort zone loosely. Someone like Leone Overbeek seems to be comfortable almost anywhere doing anything if she has to. At this juncture in her life, Leone decided to change the trajectory of her life and work and lean on the more intuitive and creative right side of her brain. She entered a program called the Masters of Philosophy in Values and Policy Studies with an emphasis on communication. And her master's thesis was about communication inside organizations and how language plays a part in what is actually communicated and how it can both impede the progress of an organization or facilitate it. Next week, in part two, Leone introduces us to the woo-woo part of her personality and how no matter where she finds herself on life's road, she adapts and finds joy. Well, she does have boundaries and strong opinions she is willing to fight for, but otherwise, she adapts and finds joy. My name is Greg Lewis. Join me next week for part two in the Now and Then Spring series featuring Leonie Overbeek. You have been listening to the Youngin Kotisal podcast. Bye for now.